And now let's stoop down to the river and drink from the living water of God's word together. As I mentioned, we're going to start our series in Philippians. And I'm going to try to connect this letter of Paul to the narrative that we read in Luke. But let's read the first eight verses of Philippians. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, I invite you to keep both of them open if you can. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray and ask God to give us some insight this morning. Father, we're eternally grateful to hold in our hands a copy and read before our eyes this letter that you wrote to the church in Philippi. We understand that 2,000 years later, many of these things that we'll read over the coming months will be so relevant to us, and I pray you would give us grace to hear what you intended to say to Paul's audience in 60 AD. Lord, I pray your spirit would intend the same thing to say to us in 2023 here in Kentucky. Lord, may we celebrate our union with Christ that we are found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now give us insight this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're like me, one of the most exhilarating things you can get is a handwritten letter in the mail. Uh, There's nothing like a handwritten letter, an email, a text, a Facebook like message, whatever, it doesn't compare to getting a, a, a written letter. In fact, this, this week, my son received a handwritten letter from his former principal at his high school, Marty Mills, one of, my, one of my favorite leaders in Lexington. And all he said was, Andrew, I'm glad that you're a senior. Hope it's a great year. Have a great year. I walked into Seth Ralston, our new student ministries director's office a couple weeks ago, and he was handwriting letters to all the students in his ministry. A buddy of mine that I play tennis with told me that he walked up into the attic about a month ago and found a treasure chest of letters, love letters, that his dad had written to his mother. Can you imagine what those stories uh, told in those letters? I have my own box of letters at home uh, that I keep, letters that remind me of God's goodness and faithfulness. Getting a handwritten letter is an exciting thing. But think about if you receive a letter from someone on the front lines of a movement. If you haven't ever read the letters to Birmingham from Birmingham jail from Martin Luther King Jr., I, I, I recommend those to you. 
Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail in Birmingham during the Civil Rights Movement, and he penned a letter to local pastors in Birmingham asking for their solidarity and help in their protests against the unrest of civil rights. It's powerful stuff coming from the front lines of that movement. Or you've probably seen stories of soldiers writing letters to their loved ones on the front lines of battle and the the significance of those letters. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to make too much of this and I don't want to make too least of this. But what you hold in your hand is a letter written from Paul the Apostle who was the founding preacher, teacher of the first church on the continent in Europe. You have a letter written from him to that congregation. Now, we, we use these letters to understand our theology, to get our doctrine, to get our church organization right, and that's great and good. But these are first and primary letters from a man to a congregation, and we should hear them that way first. This is Paul writing a letter to a congregation. Acts 16 is the birth of the gospel and church movement in Europe, and Philippians is a letter to that church that is at the epicenter of that movement. And for the next several months, we're gonna bathe in this letter together. And I hope you'll pray that God will do his great work. I mean, listen to what Paul says at the very beginning. Tell me this doesn't resonate as a letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, making my prayer with joy. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That sounds like a letter, doesn't it? That's exactly what it is. Things of joy and unity and love in Christ are gonna be all through this passage So let's dive in. I'll start with verse one, give some background to this letter and its context, and then I'll transition us to see the stories that Luke highlights for us in the book of Acts. Start with verse one here of Philippians one. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In many ways, this is a very common introduction to an ancient Greek letter. The first starts with the author, tells us who's writing. He says, Paul with Timothy. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, converted dramatically on the road to Damascus by the blinding light of the resurrected Jesus, and he was never the same. Once a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Christians, now the chief apostle, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's with Timothy. And we just read with hope that Timothy We first meet Timothy in Acts 16 as well. Timothy is the son of a Jewish woman and a Greek father. And because of that dynamic, he had not been circumcised. Paul, in keeping with the laws of Judaism, took him to be circumcised to have no stumbling block. But this Timothy is is Paul's closest confidant. Six times he's listed as writing a letter with Paul. He became a pastor overseeing the church in Ephesus He and Timothy, Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. And tradition tells us that Paul would dictate these letters to his his, uh, colleagues like Timothy, and Timothy would write them down. Paul 
and Timothy are called servants of Christ Jesus, literally slaves of Christ Jesus. One commentator said this, Paul considered the position that he and Timothy had as servants of Christ Jesus to be the highest privilege. It is a high calling to have the same position taken by Jesus himself, who Paul says in Philippians 2, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. If Christ is our Lord, then we are his servants. And that's what Paul introduces himself as, not as an apostle, not as a leader, not as a teacher, as a servant, as a slave. And then we see who the audience is, to all the saints who are in Christ. Saints is the holy ones. This letter is to a congregation of believers who are in Christ. Please listen. This is a theme over and over, nine different times in Philippians. Paul will talk about the privilege of being in Christ. You once were not a people, but now you are a people in Christ. Whether you are a Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, barbarian out here, you are all one in Christ because the overarching umbrella that binds us all together is being in Christ. Friends, listen to me. This is the greatest truth of the Christian faith. You are not your own. You were bought with a price and you are in Christ. Therefore, all the promises of God, all the promises given to the Son of God, all the blessings bestowed upon the Son of God are yours in their fullness. So he's writing to the saints that are in Christ. They are fellow partakers of the grace of God with Paul. And then he says, the saints that are at Philippi. This is the Roman colony of Philippi, named after Philip II, king of Macedonian, the father of Alexander the Great. Philippi was the retirement place for former Roman soldiers, the uh, villages of Naples, equivalent of Asia Minor. Uh, for, this is where the Roman soldiers went to retire. So this city was full of regal, high-powered men and women. It was a leading city, Luke tells us, of Macedonia. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, you had Ephesus, and you had Philippi. In fact, at the very end of Philippians, Paul says that the the members of Caesar's household greet you. Think about this. That would be the equivalent of somebody writing, of of Joe Biden writing you a letter and saying, or, or a friend writing you saying, hey, the members of Biden's household greet you. You'd be like, whoa, he's with the president's people. Paul was imprisoned writing this letter, but he was, with the, he was awaiting trial with Caesar, but Caesar's household had begun to believe in the gospel. And then he says something curious here in the first two verses. It's Paul and Timothy riding to the church at F in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, or, or elders and deacons, or bishops and deacons. How do you translate, want to translate that word? This is, this is the only time Paul ever does this in a letter. Why? Why here? Well, I think there's two reasons. One is to show solidarity with the leadership of the church. So this church was founded, as we'll see in just a few minutes, in Philippi in around A.D. 50. This letter was written from a, a prison cell, a house, a house arrest uh, that Paul was in in about A.D. 60. So the church was in existence for about 10 years, which meant it had matured to the level that it had an organized structure of elders and deacons. Paul is uniting himself with that leadership structure. But the second, the second reason is one of the other themes of this book that we'll see 
all through these next few months, is the theme of unity. There were a couple of fractions happening within the church, and Paul was trying to draw them back to each other. And he does that by saying the leadership, uh, overseers, and deacons are behind this as well. So the maturity of the church and the direction of unity caused him to say the overseers and deacons are also receiving this letter. And then he says, grace and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, a fairly traditional and ancient Greek form of introduction. As I mentioned, the location that he's writing this, scholars say he was either in the Roman home prison or in Caesarea Philippi or in Ephesus. It doesn't really matter which one, but one of his three imprisonments, Paul writes this letter to the church Philippi. So grab the moment. The apostle Paul from prison is writing to a congregation whose church started 10 years previously. Okay. Now, let's look at this, let's connect some of this to Acts. In Acts, we meet three people, Lydia, the slave girl, and the, and the jailer. I'm not going to exegete Acts 16 to take us forever, but here's, here's how it starts. Paul meets Timothy. They have just come from the, Roman, uh, the Jewish Jerusalem council in Acts 15, and they have formed two missionary groups to go. Paul takes Silas meets Timothy, and they're, they're headed to proclaim the gospel. Their paths get redirected, and Paul says that he saw a vision to go to Macedonia, a man waving, saying, hey, come over to Macedonia. And, a, and a, that man is probably Jesus himself, uh, but when he shows up, the first person he meets is a woman, Lydia. So the man waving, come over here, he gets to run into Lydia. This is fascinating. The first convert on the continent of Europe It's Lydia. Lydia. What do we know about this lady? Well, her name is called Lydia in this, but that could be that she's, they're referencing where she's from. The area of of that Macedonian region was called Lydia. So she could have been the woman from Lydia, but her city of origin is Thyatira. That's going to be important coming back as we end. She, would, she was selling her purple cloth. There was, a, there was a trade route that came through Asia Minor that went through Thyatira that went on around up into the, the Philippi area. So she would have been going back and forth selling her purple cloth. It also says that she was a homeowner because they, she welcomed them into their, her home. So this was a woman of means. It also says that she was a God-fearer. Somewhere in her journey, she had been connected to the teachings of Yahweh and the, Jew, and the Jewish faith, and she became a, 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 a worshiper of Yahweh. Parentheses here. No matter how pagan, no matter corrupt, no matter how oppressive a world government might be, God does not leave himself without a witness. Lydia was that witness here in Philippi. And little did she know, on that fateful day, joining her by the riverbed for prayer would be the Apostle Paul, who would expound to her, from Moses to the prophets to the Psalms, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she welcomed it in an open heart. And it says that she and her household were baptized. In that moment, Lydia became the first convert, and the church at Philippi was in its embryonic stages. The next person that Luke tells us 
we meet is the slave girl. As Paul and Silas and his friends are going to the, the riverbed to pray, and the reason they did that is because there was no synagogue. Paul's tradition, when he would go to a new city, he was going to the Gentiles, but he would go to these metropolitan areas, the biggest cities in the area, and he would look for the synagogue first because then he could teach the Bible. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. They were just gathering a group of them to pray. So Paul joins them there. And day after day, they're going down to this, the riverbed to pray. And there's this slave girl who is saying this, uh, this, this words to them. And, and it, Paul says that she had a spirit of divination. And that spirit of divination was actually being used by people in that city to make money as she was a fortune teller. And look at verse 17 of Acts 16. Look at what, look at, she didn't know she was a prophet or an evangelist, but look at what she says. These men are servants, same word Paul used to describe himself in Philippians 1. These men are slaves of the most high God and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Day after day, she's blurting this out and she's doing it in a satirical and as Luke tells us, an annoying way. So much so that Paul had had enough. He was annoyed. That, that, just, that makes me feel good because I get annoyed a lot. The apostle Paul got annoyed. And he turns and he says, get out of her spirit. And in that moment, the spirit of divination left and she was a changed person. And something economically earth shattering happened in that city. The business owners went crazy. This woman that was making us money, this slave girl who had an evil spirit now is filled of the Holy Spirit. She's no longer making us money and they call the magistrates to come and deal with Paul and Silas and this new teaching that was upsetting the whole city. And they bring them into the city center of Philippi and they beat them with rods and throw them into jail. All because this slave girl got a new spirit. That leads us to the third person we meet is the jailer. They're put into prison, and because the magistrates of Rome had said these are prisoners that are to be secured, he puts them in the inner part of the jail. And these jailers knew that their responsibility to keep these prisoners secure was on their own backs, so that if anything were to happen to those prisoners, they would suffer the consequence of losing those prisoners. You heard the story. It's about midnight, Paul and Silas and others are in that jail and they're singing hymns and praying and the other prisoners are listening. They're proclaiming the gospel while in jail. And at midnight, an earthquake happens. Such a severe earthquake that the gates of the jail are opened, the shackles are let loose. Paul and his friends and the other prisoners are free. The jailer wakes up and realizes, oh no, all those prisoners are gonna be gone and, and, and Caesar is gonna want my head. So he pulls his sword out to kill himself and Paul says with a loud voice, hey, stop, we're all here. Wouldn't you have loved to have that conversation? Hey guys, listen, something really crazy is about to happen. An earthquake's gonna come, the gates are gonna open, we're all gonna be free, stay put, don't run. We're gonna get free, just stay put. And they did. The jailer comes in, And what does he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul looks at him and says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your house will be saved. And that moment, he took Paul and Silas and he took them and washed their wounds and they were baptized. Parentheses again. 
one of the greatest evidences that a soul and a heart has been changed is you are compassionate and merciful. This ruthless jailer, first act of becoming a believer was to wash the wounds of Paul and Silas. It's a great detail that Luke gives us. Three really diverse people that started the church in Philippi. Listen to what John Stott says. It would be hard to imagine a more diverse group than the businesswoman, the slave girl, and the jailer. Racially, socially, psychologically, they were worlds apart. Yet all three were changed by the same gospel and were welcomed into the same church. Luke's Philippian narrative highlights both the universal appeal of the gospel that these diverse men and women were in Christ together. The same gospel saved them all. And the universal effect bound them together as a family. One people. Christ took on the form of a human nature and became a servant, even to uh, obedient, even to death on a cross. That's what they heard. They heard Paul say, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've lost everything for him, but counted a joy and privilege to be his servant. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Those are all quotes from Philippians. And every one of those three people would have said, yeah, I remember that. That happened to me. Yep, that's my story too. And I can't, couldn't help but think, my mom's favorite hymn is Blessed Assurance. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Friend, you have to see, the church in Philippi started with these three unique stories. The church of Jesus Christ keeps expanding because of your unique story. This is your story. This is your song. Praising your Savior all the day long. Now, there's an interesting connection to Lydia. And Luke and I were talking about that. Luke named his first daughter, uh, his only daughter, <laughs> uh, Lydia, after this, this woman in the Bible. And there's an interesting connection. Lydia's from the city of Thyatira. I mentioned that. Well, there's seven letters in the book of Revelation that Jesus himself wrote to churches. They're fascinating letters. Most of them are stern rebukes full of prophecy and encouragement too. But one of the letters written is to the church at Thyatira. Now there's no evidence that we have that Lydia was the one who started the church in Thyatira. There's plenty of evidence that Lydia was the one that started the church in Philippi. But isn't it interesting that one of the seven letters Jesus chose to write was to the city from where Lydia was from. When the gospel takes root in a heart, it begins to bear fruit wherever that heart goes. Listen to what Jesus said to the church in Thyatira. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. It's exactly what Paul said to the Philippians. I am confident of this thing. He who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ. What happens on that day? All the nations will be in Christ. All the peoples will be united in one family. All the languages will have one common song 
a new song. Worthy is the Lamb. So, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You have a story that is interwoven with the story of God's redemption. Let's come now to this table, which binds us all together in a common fellowship. Amen? All right, let me pray, and then I'll transition us into the Lord's Prayer. Father, it is with inexpressible joy and thankfulness that we, we come to you. And we say thank you for this letter that has been preserved over centuries that might edify us, strengthen us, remind us that we are in Christ. We are one in Christ. The sufferings of this life pale compared to the joys of being united with Christ in his sufferings. God, over the next few months, I pray that our hearts would be inflamed with joy and that we would see our privilege of being a diverse people, but unified under the one umbrella of the righteousness of Christ. And so, Lord, now as we come to your table, remind us that this union with you came through your body and through your blood, which was given for sinners. And, Lord, may we celebrate our union in Christ, just like Lydia, just like the slave girl, just like the jailer. This is our story. This is our song. And so, Christ Jesus, now we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.